Section 2 of The Spring Song by Forrest Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 In the Lane. Straight, mine eye hath caught new pleasures, whilst the landscape rounded measures russet lawns and fallows gray, where the nibbling flocks do stray. Meadows trim with daisies pied, shallow brooks and rivers wide, towers and battlements it sees, bosomed high in tufted trees, where, perhaps, some beauty lies. Milton Anne decided to walk also, and followed Griff and Aunt Caroline out of the station. From the first, she made the mistake of adapting her pace to that of Pouncer instead of stimulating him to greater efforts. But it seemed to her that Aunt Caroline simply floated over the ground, and that it was useless to try to emulate such speed. She was like a tall white yacht on a green sea, and Griff was a little boat she had in tow. Anne and Pouncer dropped farther and farther behind. They passed along a crooked, hilly street, the main street of the town and on to the high road. A duck waddled by, quacking discontentedly of family matters. Grave, mild-eyed cows, black and brown and white, looked at them solemnly, and a boy stood rattling a pail against a wooden trowel. He smiled at Anne. Anne was interested in the boy and Pouncer in the cows, but both were obliged to hurry after Aunt Caroline and Griff, who were now fifty yards ahead. They turned to the right down a green beechen lane, and Anne and Pouncer straggled behind. There were cool green places under the hedges, with thick long grass for resting on. There were cool bluish shadows under the dark, pink-flowered chestnut trees. But Griff and Aunt Caroline passed them by, and one of Anne's bootlaces was draggling on the ground, and Pouncer's tongue was lolling out. It seemed to Anne that Aunt Caroline was simply flying. Griff was big and could keep up with her. But Anne felt that she was getting hotter and hotter and would soon have to stop. The difficulty was that Aunt Caroline never looked behind. Griff, who was usually so quiet, was talking to her just as if he were trying to make up for all his past silences. Anne might have attracted their attention by a vocal appeal, but for a long time she could not summon up courage to make the attempt. Griff! she at last piped plaintively in a very small voice, smaller even than usual, and Griff did not hear. The corners of Anne's mouth drooped. Her other lace had become untied. Her fat legs dragged with increasing slowness. Pouncer, suddenly forgetting his own fatigue, began to worry her laces, to get in her way, to pretend her laces were rats, and Anne's tears were welling dangerously near the surface when Aunt Caroline turned around. She stopped at once. Good gracious, child, whatever's the matter? I'm so hot, Anne quavered. Aunt Caroline laughed. But it was a comfortable, pleasant laugh, and Anne, who never counted much on sympathy, didn't mind it. We can rest here if you like, 
Aunt Caroline said, sitting down under the thick hedge. And we've only a very little farther to go now. You would walk, cried Griff. You always will do things. I wanted to walk, Anne replied. Why shouldn't I walk as well as you? But you see, you can't. I can. Her plaintive note had slipped already into the firmer tone of argument. Griff shrugged his shoulders. He knelt down and tied her laces for her, while Pouncer, seeing how things were going, dropped into a doze. The air was a floating haze of dusty gold, which turned to green among the trees. The bees boomed in the dog roses. The sky was cloudless. The tree trunks showed almost black in the hot light, and the leaves, pale and semi-transparent, quivered, altered, taking strange forms, so that what Griff saw was now a tree, now a spirit. In the green grass, the shadows made islands of a deeper green. Presently, coming along the road in the direction of the town, they saw an odd-looking person dressed in black, with very tight trousers and a large black cravat. He walked quickly, with a curious, springy, almost dancing step, while he swung a gold-headed ebony stick. His clothes were shiny and worn, yet he presented the figure of a dandy, and as he raised his broad-brimmed hat with a fine flourish and bowed to Aunt Caroline, he revealed a soft profusion of silky white hair, unexpected because nothing else about him suggested age. His face was smooth, his complexion fresh and clear, his eyes extremely bright and rather restless. His features were unusually refined, yet with a great boldness in the well-arched predatory nose. Aunt Caroline introduced him to Griff and Anne as Mr. Clement Bradley, and Mr. Bradley acknowledged the introduction with high formality. On my way to the post office, Miss Annesley, can I do anything for you in the town? The fact is, I'm expecting important letters. I should be sorry to think that the postmistress had kept them back on purpose, but it is odd, very odd, that they have not reached me before this. He spoke in a soft, clear voice, a little slowly, and with a somewhat pedantic nicety of enunciation. He had strange, sly eyes, Griff thought, and as he talked of his letters having been kept back, they suddenly altered in expression and became clear and shining, like the eyes of a cat. When presently he stepped daintily on down the lane, the others gazed after him, the children doubtfully, Aunt Caroline thoughtfully, Pouncer with unwanted hostility. How funny he looks, Anne declared, and did you hear Bouncer growl? Aunt Caroline still watched the retreating figure. Bouncer was very naughty, she murmured absently. It's not Bouncer, Aunt Caroline, it's Pouncer. Anne can't say words beginning with P. Who is he? Anne questioned, with a curiosity that seldom failed her. Is he a friend of yours? Yes, he's Grandpapa's organist. I don't know that he's a very great friend, exactly, but he's been here for a good many years. I think he must be rather eccentric, 
Anne decided after some pondering. I quite agree with you, Aunt Caroline laughed. You'll hear him playing in church on Sunday. His playing is rather eccentric, too. Why, does he make mistakes? Oh, no, it's not that. It's only that he occasionally makes a good deal of noise. And then he likes to practice at all kinds of queer hours, sometimes in the middle of the night. There was a pause, and Anne said, I'm not tired any longer. We might take a shortcut across the fields, Aunt Caroline suggested. She moved on, this time quite slowly, and with Anne's hot hand firmly clasped in her cool one. Look at Bouncer. Isn't he a silly old thing? cried Anne. The bulldog, who had seen a fox terrier running on three legs, with the fourth tucked up, was at that moment making clumsy and unsuccessful experiments in this novel style of locomotion. In the sunshine, brilliantly orange and white, with his black nose and kinky tail, he looked so bright and colored that a wandering butterfly hovered about him, as if mistaking him for a gigantic bunch of flowers. Does Grandpapa like having us? Anne inquired, but only with a view to making conversation. Grandpapa's a clergyman, she presently observed, and father's a doctor, a specialist, eyes and ears. Why hasn't he many patients? Aunt Caroline laughed. I suppose because he goes away so much. He is really a traveler more than a doctor. Does he go away because he hasn't patience? Or does he not have patience because he goes away? It sounds like a riddle, Aunt Caroline replied. And if it is, I give up. It's not a riddle, Anne assured her. It's just an ordinary question. Shall we see Grandpapa as soon as we arrive? I don't know. He was very busy when I left. Father's always busy, too. So is Mother. What's Grandpapa busy about? He's writing a book. What sort of book? A book about fairies. Anne seemed doubtful. Mother didn't call it that, she said reflectively, and was immediately reproved by Griff. What did Mother call it? Folklore, perhaps, Aunt Caroline suggested. Does he tell the stories to you? Sometimes. Will he tell them to us? I dare say. And this is the side gate. Our journey is over. By the way, what time do you all go to bed? Jim and me at half past eight. Griff and Barbara at nine. I don't go at nine when I'm on a visit, said Griff. As they emerged from the shrubbery, the Glebe house stood low and square before them. It was half covered with ivy, the young leaves just now of a pale and tender green. In front of the house was a croquet lawn sheltered on the farther side by trees, and beyond that, the ground sloped gradually down to the road. There were few flowers and no flower garden. Behind the house and the stables was a low stone wall, on the other side of which was a wood. The grounds had evidently once formed part of this wood, which pressed up so close to the wall that the trees leaning over seemed trying to force an entrance with the exception of the leveling of the croquet court and the cutting down of a certain quantity of timber, nothing in the way of alteration or of laying out had been attempted. Where are the others? Aunt Caroline inquired as they came into the hall, where Bridget and Hannah, the two servants, stood wreathed in smiles. The children's round in the stables, Miss Caroline. Just then Miss Johnson appeared, and instantly, 
like a genie in the Arabian Nights, pounced upon Anne, who it seemed was disgracefully untidy. I can't help it. I'm so hot, Anne sighed. Aunt Caroline took charge of Griff, while Pouncer followed at their heels. They climbed two wide flights of stairs. This is where I am going to put you and Edward and Jim, Aunt Caroline said, opening the door of a large bedroom, whose three windows overlooked the croquet lawn. Griff surveyed it quietly. Already it showed abundant signs of occupation. Jim, in a moment of enthusiasm, must have begun to unpack, for his own and Griff's things were scattered broadcast on the beds and the chairs and the floor. May I look at the other rooms too, Aunt Caroline? He asked politely after a moment's pause. Aunt Caroline seemed rather puzzled. Don't you like it? I thought you'd rather not be separated, and this is the biggest room in the house. Oh, yes, I like it very much. It's not that. What is it then? It's just that I love looking around. Are any of the rooms near the wood? She led him along a passage, through a swing door, up a flight of three stairs and then along another passage, at the end of which she opened a door. Griff walked straight to the window. As he leaned out, he could see the wood. It was quite close to him indeed, and he could hear the faint murmur it made, as of many whispering voices. He stood there dumb, and Aunt Caroline guessed that she had made a mistake. She watched him struggle against a desire to tell her that he preferred this room, but his natural politeness conquered. Thank you very much, he said, turning to go out. Would you like to sleep here? She asked, half laughing. He looked up quickly. With Pouncer? Would you let me? But surely Pouncer sleeps outside. Y yes. Would you allow him to sleep here with me? There was no importunity in his words, but she knew he was hanging eagerly on what she should say. You're the queerest little fish. Of course, you can please yourself. It doesn't matter in the least what room you choose. Only, you will be all alone here. No one else is on this side of the house. I like the trees, he apologized. And I shall be able to watch them in the morning. Aunt Caroline, too, came to the window. The trees are just what I don't like, she said. Sometimes in the autumn and the winter, when it's really stormy, they make a tremendous noise and it sounds so dismal at night. However, I don't suppose we shall have much wind during the summer, and of course if you find you are being kept awake, you can always change your quarters. End of section 2